Hello and welcome to Pole Position, a podcast series from the Hoover Institution covering the 2016 election season. Pole Position is hosted by Hoover Research Fellow Bill Whalen, an expert in U.S. and California politics and elections. Hello, it's Thursday, October the 27th, and welcome to Pole Position, the Hoover Institution's ongoing look at the 2016 election. I'm Bill Whalen, a Hoover Research Fellow. With the election now just 12 days away, we don't have 12 lords a-leaping, but we do have two guys who know a thing or two about politics and elections. David Brady, a Stanford University political scientist and the Hoover Institution's Davies Family Senior Fellow. Also joining us in studio, Doug Rivers, likewise a Hoover Senior Fellow, Stanford political scientist and lead scientist for YouGov, the Palo Alto-based survey firm. Gentlemen, good to see you both. Well, Doug, there you are sitting cowered. <coughs> Hiding in the corner like most pollsters are these days, it is open season on pollsters. You guys apparently have rigged the election, or so Donald Trump claims. It's all a conspiracy. I wish. It's all a conspiracy, as Mr. Trump would tell his followers and those believe. The polls are rigged. The media write about the rigged results. Voters won't turn out the election as they can. What say you? Unfortunately, the results are nearly set at this point. Um, there's quite a bit of variation in the polls, but uh, they're consistent from one end to the other that uh, Trump is losing the presidential election. Right. Um, you have polls that have Clinton with a double-digit lead, which would translate into high 300 uh, electoral votes and uh, more or less a wipeout. Right. Uh, our own polls are running uh, more in the four- to five-point range, um, uh, which is, of course, much closer, but... Uh, in the Electoral College, um, uh, it doesn't look terribly competitive at this point. Uh, even if uh, Trump were uh, to win Florida and Ohio, mm -hmm. uh, he would still be significantly short of where he needs to be because uh, he's trailing uh, in North Carolina. Um, it's close in Georgia. Um, I think right. he'll win Georgia, but... Um, uh, and then in states like Pennsylvania, he's consistently ahead uh, in the polls. Uh, Behind. Behind. Clinton, Clinton is Clinton consistently ahead. Mm -hmm. uh, so there's quite a bit of room for error in the Clinton electoral map. Right. Uh, for Trump to win, he basically needs uh, to win Ohio, Florida, mm -hmm. Georgia, um, <clears throat> Nevada, right. uh, and Pennsylvania. Right. So the easiest path for Trump is if he holds serve on every Romney state. That gets him 206. But you alluded to the fact that he has a fight on his hands in Georgia. Uh, I'm not sure what your data says about North Carolina and Arizona, but the presumption is those are also contended states as well. North Carolina has moved into the lean Democratic uh, column. So that's, I think, 15 electoral votes. So yes. you're right. So he loses any one of these. It's basically the ball game. But the easiest scenario, Dave, would be that he gets to, starts with 206 from Romney. If he picks up Florida and Ohio, that's another 47. That takes him to 253. Pennsylvania would be the ball game with 20, but Pennsylvania doesn't seem likely, as Doug told us. So now he has to draw this inside straight, and it's complicated. It's Iowa, it's Nevada, it's Colorado, maybe New Hampshire. All of this without any room for error. He can't shed any states where she can lose four or five. So, yeah, I think we can agree she just has a big institutional advantage here. And he's doing nothing uh, to improve his chances in any of these places. He's right. pretty much reverted to a base strategy and a hotel opening strategy uh, as opposed to actually going after swing voters in swing states. Now, I want to focus uh, today on the profession of polling itself, the practice of polling in this regard. Donald Trump has made polls his latest whipping boy. 
So you guys are in the fine line. I thought he was ahead in all of the polls. <laughs> the polls are fantastic. He says. In the real polls, he is yeah. ahead. <laughs> now, first of all, let's make clear, he's not a fan of polls themselves. If you look at Trump's FEC filings from June of 2015 to September of 2016, his campaign has spent $1.8 million total on polling. Hillary spent about $1.3 million on polling in August alone. Trump has spent about $3 million on what we would call swag, hats things like that. So he's not invested much in polling. Ted Cruz, uh, leading up to Iowa, he spent about $3 million on, well, he wouldn't call it polling. He had a great phrase for it. He called it donor modeling. (laughs) 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 But it's polling. So he's not investing money in polls. But what he is doing now is, Doug and Dave, is he is pointing out that if you look at real clear politics, for example, and you go down the last 10 to 15 polls, what do you see? You see one poll that shows her up by 14 points. You see a poll in there showing him by one. So he's saying, 15-point swing here, you know, what is going on? And when 13 or 14 out of the 15 show her ahead, in his mind, that's a conspiracy. But, Dave, you were talking before we went on the air about 2016 modeling versus 2012 modeling, and you had a, you had a couple of interesting observations. <clears throat> well, yeah, but Doug convinced me I was wrong, so, or at least he said I was well, let's wrong. let's take another run at it. <laughs> yeah, all right, no, yeah, all right, so he said I was wrong. So that. if you look at the, I looked at the 2012 um, polling uh, and uh, about at the same time and over the last two, three months. And it's much narrower. There are some differences between polls, obviously, but the difference would be like four or five points would be a really big difference. Right. If Obama up six or up one, mm-hmm. that, that was really big. And the gap this time is much higher. And so the claim, uh, so the claim I made was, well, people were using different polling techniques in 2012, so that can account for it. Mm-hmm. And I talked about the uncertainty, but Doug assured me that it wasn't. Un- uh, there are some, a number of uncertain people more than in the past, but the real reason for the difference in the polls was uh, who was participating in the polls. So I think you should turn it over to him to hear that and let me rehear that. Mm-hmm. Yeah, so at the individual level, there is more uncertainty this year than in the past. There are more people telling us they're undecided. There are more people telling us they're not going to vote. Uh, there are many more third-party voters who are more malleable. Um, that doesn't, in the end, uh, have any real effect on the accuracy of the polls. Uh, if every single voter out there decided how to vote by flipping a coin, right. uh, that would give us the exact same accuracy of the poll mm-hmm. um, as if, Every voter, 50% of the voters were committed Democrats who never switched, and 50% but were what Republicans. If, I agree that that's a point fifty point vote. But what if, given the events of the day, three-quarters uh, move toward Clinton one time, and then they turn against her, and three-quarters move back? How does that affect it? Or is that, is that not well, happening? Right? Yeah, it definitely is not happening. Uh, we saw actual shifts after the first presidential debate. We've seen very little shifts in the last... Uh, two weeks since then, despite all the events that occurred. Mm-hmm. Um, there is there is uncertainty at the end of how the third-party voters will break. Uh, will they stick to the third-party candidates, or is I think more likely um, uh, move towards uh, Clinton and Trump? Well, that's what we have. Uh, there is uncertainty about likely voter modeling and turnout, right. uh, which is a big problem uh, for polls if turnout varies a lot. Uh, my contention has always been, however, that turnout is overrated as an effect. So the Fox News poll that came out yesterday by your guys, by your friend Derek Shaw, University mm-hmm. of Texas political scientist, he has a four-way race at 44-41 right. Clinton. Um, but just to clarify for our listeners, where do you guys ballpark the election right now? I think you said five to six points. Uh, I'm more four to five. Four to five. But, um, On the four with four candidates. 
with four yeah the full set of candidates <laughs> okay um let me explain a little bit on the mm -hmm. the problem with two versus four candidates uh, if you're doing a phone poll you have to read the people um, the list of candidates and typically you also mention their party um, and it's a real mouthful to go through four candidates uh, so a lot of the phone polls essentially start with a two-candidate uh, format. And you cut it off at four, you don't go into freedom and peace candidates or anything like that? Right. Traditionally, we've tried to, uh, if you have a poll and you mention somebody, some people will pick them right. uh, by mistake or because they're you know, not really uh, involved in the process. Mm -hmm. um, it was a difficult choice because early on, both uh, Gary Johnson and Jill Stein were polling and uh, the mid to high single digits, occasionally double digits for Johnson. Uh, they've since moved down to sub, you know, I think Johnson's tops are about six points in the polls. Um, my prediction is combined they're under five uh, and probably under four. Um, but uh, in any event, so you do the initial question with two candidates, and then you offer, well, suppose these other candidates were running. Um, and the problem is it makes it very hypothetical for people. Right. Uh, so our preference on Internet polls is to list all four, or in the case of Utah, to list Evan McMullen um, in that case, um, rather, and then to do a follow-up of if you had to choose between Clinton and Trump, who would you uh, choose um, as a way of getting a two-way. Uh, and that yields smaller differences between our two-way and our four-way, and we think gives us some comfort on how the third-party candidates will break. Okay. All right. Let me ask you guys a question, and that's the word oversamples. Part of what's driving the Trump conspiracy theory here is WikiLeaks and the treasure trove of emails coming out from WikiLeaks of the Clinton campaign. You go deep into it, and you find one email from John Podesta to a pollster, and in, within that email is the phrase, oversamples for our polling. So in the Trump world, this is, aha, they're putting their thumb on the scale. They're purposely polling more Democrats than Republicans. So, uh, so let's, let's, let's explain. This is comically uh, yes. <laughs> ignorant. Um, so uh, in polling, you typically do oversamples of certain groups so that you have enough sample in that group to get a reasonable estimate of how they're going to behave. Uh, as I recall, Hillary Clinton was running in Democratic primaries, um, and if you want to do a poll of Democratic primary voters, it's wasteful to interview a lot of Republicans. Um, and so there was nothing even slightly nefarious. Uh, furthermore, this was their internal poll, not for release. Um, so unless you believe they want to delude themselves about uh, the number of Democrats. <laughs> well, I, for me, the, I agree with what Doug said about that, but, but the notion that as a pollster or someone who is a professional looking at the election, what are uh, what are our incentives? Our, our incentives are to get it right. right. It doesn't matter whether I'm for A or B. Uh, my reputation, my academic reputation, and whatever that's worth, uh, hangs on whether you get it right. So you want to get it right. And and since we're and, and, and they, look, we're not being paid. Uh, by anybody, by either political party, to do anything. So if we get it wrong, uh, it costs me less than Doug because he's the chief scientist and founded YouGov. But obviously, he wants to get it right too because that's what that's what does it for you. I think Trump though did fire his pollster that was getting it right uh, yeah. with the wrong answer. 
correct. Let's be honest. This is part of what's driving this whole talk. It's very easy to talk about things being rigged when you lose. It's sort of like when you're a little kid and you're watching a baseball game on TV and your team was losing. So, of course, you start crying that the umpire is cheating and it's rigged against your team. So there's a lot of that going on. But I think there's also something larger afoot here and that polling has been dragged into media and other institutions in America, which is the question of bias and bias against one particular view, which happens to be the Republican slash conservative slash anti-democratic view. Well, I, of things. I do think, as you know, Bill, work in Republican campaigns, as I have in some, when you go into a, uh, into a, uh, into an election as a Republican, in most, not, not in Alabama, but in California or in the U.S., right. you know that the media is not going to be with you, and you uh, plan around that. Pete Wilson was an expert at that, uh, and so, I, you know, you can either cry about it or you can do something about it, and there have been a lot of successful Republican candidates, and they just take that as a, sort of a fact and, and move on with the campaigns. Exactly. <clears throat> Yeah, I, uh, you know, there are Democratic pollsters, there are Republican pollsters. Um, when campaigns release polls, they do it for a reason, mm -hmm. uh, not because they're contributing to getting things right. Mm -hmm. uh, most media pollsters are uh, nonpartisan, and uh, our biggest thing is getting it right. right. Um, I, uh, we, our poll showed a tightening race with uh, Trump getting closer. Mm -hmm. um, and um, I, uh, you know, I'm not, I'm no fan of Trump. I think that's pretty obvious. Uh, but uh, you know, our goal is to get the outcome as close to right as we can. There are a couple of firms out there that do skew to one side or the other. I'm not going to name names because <coughs> we want to be professional about this. But there's Why? one. Would one start with the letter R? One yeah. would start with the letter R, and the other would probably start with the letter P. Yeah. Uh, and you find the R being featured prominently on Fox News when it comes out with very rosy results for Trump. And you find the one with the P coming on to MSNBC when it has very rosy results for Democrats in down ticket races. So you can throw those two out and then look at the rest of the batch. But my goodness, you do go through the real clear numbers, though. There are just a lot of polls out there, and it's just almost, it's, right. you know, this is the curse of the information age. There's too much information for voters. Yeah, though the benefit of the information age is there are people like Nate Silver and Real Clear Politics yeah. and so forth that now average the polls so you don't have to pay attention to mm -hmm. the single outlier. Um, Except the fact that that's exactly what they're going to feature correct. on the news. Right. Uh, if, if, I, if the so average is five points and you're at one or ten, so this that's is part the of one the, So seeing. one point I would make, however, <laughs> is that the Fox News poll uh, uh, for years was run by a Democratic pollster. It's now split. Uh, yeah, he yeah. died. Um, and it's now split between a Darren Republican Shaw. pollster, Darren Shaw, Darren Shaw our uh, colleague and um, former student at UCLA, um, and a Democratic pollster, and they run a very credible poll. Mm -hmm. uh, the Fox News poll itself is is not biased, right? Um, and uh, but obviously right. the ones that are more favorable to Trump tend to right. get quoted a lot more on Fox, um, right. more so than even the Fox. So David has Megyn Kelly right. and Newt Gingrich in their little uh, outing, uh, talked about the Fox poll. Exactly. Uh, but Dave alluded to something, which is the problem in this election in particular, and that is the shock poll. And it's, it's the Drudge Report. It's how information flows. So an outlying poll comes out and shows Donald Trump up by three points. You have a ginormous banner headline on Trump saying, shock poll, Trump ahead. And there are reporters who chase that dog down the street and report on it, and it confuses voters. But let me ask you guys this, since you are serious students of polling, besides obviously keeping a track of your tracking poll, which comes out 
uh, and you're looking at that besides looking at YouGov economist numbers, which come out each week, besides looking at CBS News battleground polls, where else do you guys go for information? Well, I try not to pay too much attention to other polls. Well, you're probably that, too busy polling to read other polls. But. Um, <coughs> well, I can't say that I don't look at all. Um, sure. And when one's brought to my attention, as people do, mm-hmm. uh, the first thing you do is you look at the internals of the poll. Um, so uh, there are obvious things about what's the party ID split, right. uh, if the poll will tell you uh, what the recalled vote is for the 2012 election, that mm-hmm. gives you an indicator, um, demographics, right. uh, what the uh, gender gap is in the poll. Uh, all of these things tell you whether the poll looks weird or not. Now, um, the last two races have been about a 38-32 split, I think, between Democrats and Republicans. So what numbers would you guys look for in a, in a state? I think now it's, that's where I was going to go because, I, uh, to me, uh, how, how you determine what's going to happen in the election now is what's the split between the parties, mm-hmm. what's the of the party voters, how loyal are they to each candidate. Uh, as you get closer to the election, they get more loyal. And then, because uh, that tells you who, how many uh, candidates, uh, who has to win the independents and by how much. Mm-hmm. Uh, so I follow, in terms of your earlier question, I, I follow another thing, Doug started pollster.com, where they average par- uh, party identification across all the polls, real clear politics. Mm-hmm. And uh, so I look for that gap first, and that gap has grown. It's about 8 9% now. People have it at that. That means that, and then Mrs. Clinton has a bit higher percentage, varies from 85 to 88, something like that. I've seen the high as 90. Uh, so she has a higher, a bigger, uh, higher percentage of a bigger number. Right. Um, Trump's at around 81, 80, 81%, maybe a little News, higher. The Fox News poll had it at uh, 87% for Hillary and 83 for Trump. Okay, so he's I, moved up since their last one. Yeah, he has been gaining uh, among Republicans over time. Uh, earlier in the year, Dave and I wrote some pieces uh, for Real Clear in the Wall Street Journal that right. basically said Trump was in real trouble because he wasn't getting enough Republican vote. He's largely overcome that, not completely. He's a little behind where he needs to be. Right. Um, party ID is an interesting one. Um, there's a big debate among pollsters whether you should wait on party ID, and most media polls do not. Uh, I've come to the conclusion that you generally should not wait on party ID, but you must do something to deal with the problem. What's the argument against? Um, so the argument against is that you don't know what the target should be. Uh, okay. So when we started the year, we thought the Democrats were about plus six. And when I saw a sample that was Democrats plus 10, I said, all right, we, we have a problem in the sample. Yeah. Um, but uh, it moves over the course of an election year. Mm-hmm. Uh, because uh, voters themselves don't distinguish, at least some of them don't distinguish, between how they're going to vote and what party uh, they identify with. Um, and you'll see right after the election, uh, there will be a surge in the number of independents. Because yeah. uh, people said, you know, I voted that way in this election, and now I'm independent again and right. watching what's happening. Um, so we've, we've gone aggressively to past vote waiting. Uh, we try to measure past vote as close to the time people cast the vote as possible. Mm-hmm. Uh, but our conclusion is that uh, recall a past vote is generally, uh, in internet survey, is generally reliable. Um, that we don't, um, we see that it's 
uh, on a four-year basis. It's about 95% stable mm -hmm. with uh, roughly equal numbers splitting uh, either direction. And you can tell what they said in many we cases. We have the same people on our panel, people. at least a lot of the same people. So, so that's the important point. So the right. important for the listeners to get is that when uh, in a one-time shot where you ask someone, how'd you vote in 2012? They say, I voted for X. Maybe they didn't, maybe they didn't. But in these surveys, you can go back and say, oh, in 2012, you said you voted for X. So right. it's right. consistent. And as long as we're down here in the weeds, um, one of the problems on state polls is that unlike in national polling, where there's tons of sort of benchmarks and what the current party ID distribution is across a range of polls, um, at the state level, there's much less information, and many of the state polls don't know what their target should be on party ID right. uh, or don't publish it. Um, so what people do is they go to the exit poll. Uh, and this was a big problem with the Romney analytics in 2012. Uh, they were looking at the exit poll distribution from 2008 and saying the party ID distribution should look the same uh, in 2012 as it did in 2008. Party ID in the exit poll doesn't look very similar to party ID in most uh, phone polls. Yeah, right. um, and so there's quite a gap there. So let me, so for the readers, or for the listeners rather, so when you ask the question, generally speaking, you can consider yourself a Democrat or Republican or an independent, uh, you say that. But if you say independent, most of them follow up and say, well, do you lean Democrat or do you lean Republican? Mm -hmm. And uh, a lot of those leaners, as Doug says, so I decide this time I'm going to vote for Trump. So I say I'm an independent, but I'm independent leaning Republican. Then, so as, the, as you get closer to the election, since I'm now committed to voting, what happens is the number, the party, party people who say they're in a party goes up. Then as soon as the election's over, now you ask me, and like right. Doug said, oh, so I'm an independent. I don't know who's going to be in the next election. Mm -hmm. And uh, that's why those numbers, exit poll numbers, are wrong because they're at the, at the worst possible spot to measure it. You've right. just voted. Did David Brady just say he's uh, voting for Donald Trump? I did not. It was an example. <laughs> just checking. I don't say who I'm voting for. Okay. Now, how do we count for the so-called hidden vote? We're going to hear a lot about this in the last 10, 12 days of this election. There is a... And you know this, Doug, because you lived and breathed Brexit for, for several months. Whereas you can hear this ad nauseum from the Trump campaign. Don't pay attention to the polls. There is a 4 to 5% hidden vote out there for Donald Trump. But as a pollster, do you just set that aside and wait to be surprised on Election Day? Or do you try to, try to add that to the blend? So a lot of people are saying, you know, this is Trump fantasy and right. you don't have to worry about it. Uh, I do not uh, believe that's necessarily the case. Um, we did see uh, in Brexit, uh, it appeared that the polls were systematically undercounting um, support for Brexit, mm -hmm. uh, particularly the phone polls. Uh, and uh, I could believe that we could have an effect here. We do know there are certain types of voters who are less likely uh, to answer um, surveys in general and phone polls in particular. Right. Uh, and it cuts both ways. So older voters, for example, are much more likely to participate in polls. It's harder to get people in their 20s uh, to participate. Women are more likely uh, to participate than men. Uh, so all those are things that would uh, generally uh, benefit uh, Clinton in the polls. Right. Uh, excuse me. Uh, Trump. Trump. Well, age would benefit Trump and gender would benefit, benefit Clinton. Clinton. Right. The fact is polls are corrected for those 
thing. So that's really not much of an well, issue. Well, in this case, gender, as long as they were college, depending on contingent All on education. right, so this is the big one. Uh, big problem in polling is differential response by level of education. Uh, so in phone polls... Actually, why don't you explain for as well, just for listeners, what... What exactly different? What that? What that means? What it means is that people with a college degree or even more a postgraduate degree are much more likely to want to talk about politics on a telephone poll and answer the phone poll. Okay. Um, so, uh, and those voters have been splitting in this election uh, very much towards the Democrats. Right. Um, so most polls are weighted to reflect the education distribution. Um, it's. Um, this is a place where the internet is actually a little more challenging uh, because if you look at the very lower end of the education distribution, that is people without a high school degree, uh, who are roughly a sixth of uh, the U.S. population, uh, they are much more likely to participate in an internet survey. Mm -hmm. um, they are less likely to use the internet at their jobs because their right. jobs don't involve that. Um, so we work pretty hard to represent them properly, well, I, but it is possible that uh, we are not getting those groups right. What, and what's then the percentage second, of high school plus less than high school? 50% of the population. Yeah. It's less of the electorate. It's about 40% yeah. of the electorate. Okay. So that's a big number. Yeah. We're talking and national election. And they are election. grossly underrepresented right. in the samples, but the samples are weighted, uh, so the people in the samples uh, from that category, do have usually more. if you're doing a decent job, you have the right education distribution. I would point out to people that while four points, let's say, doesn't seem like a big number in a national election, when you translate that into human terms, when you're talking about 120 or 130 million people voting, you're talking five or six million people in the woodworks out there. Right. So that's a lot of people off right. the radar screen. So it just who knows what kind of bounce he might get in terms of a hidden vote. But out on there, the other hand, you know. Those are the people, uh, same people who are have historically been less likely to be registered and less likely to vote. Right. Right. And but where the difference is not. Right. right. You know, the fact that they have lower turnout and registration rates, uh, we try to uh, weight our registered voter samples to registered voter targets, right. but those are actually not so easy to right. produce. Right. So, and the point I was making with that was, well, on the one hand, you may be undercounting them because they don't respond as much. Mm. On the other hand, because as he said, 50% are high school or less, but of right. the electorate, it's only four. That's a that's a big, pretty big gap. That 10% that uh, or 20% of the mm. whole sample don't vote. Right. And so that's a higher percentage than college. So it cuts both ways. Yeah, so your typical polling sample has 90% plus people voting. Right. Um, and uh, a mistake that's made by a lot of samples is not to um, properly deal with voter registration. Uh, among registered voters, turnouts in the mid to high 80s. Um, and so if you have a sample of registered voters, turnout is much less consequential. Um, but it's difficult. Uh, people don't know whether they're registered or not, uh, which is one reason campaign polls tend to prefer calling people off of voter lists as opposed to doing random digit dialing. Yeah. Uh, but if you if you do that, you immediately miss the people with unlisted phone numbers, uh, and you miss people who aren't registered. And cell phones uh, and now, too. Uh, cell phones are actually, uh, people will um, list their cell phone as a contact number, uh -huh. uh, so you can do a certain amount of uh, okay. reverse matches off of yeah. voter lists. 
Uh, but most people on their cell phone don't want to be called by a person they don't know and take a survey. Yeah, I think one thing which is important to stress on the idea of the hidden vote is it's not so much a quality argument, a quantity argument, as it is a quality argument. Uh, let's say, for example, there are a couple million people hidden out there are going to vote for Trump on Election Day. Well, if half of them are in Texas, let's say, uh, your YouGov just uh, has Texas is actually very competitive right now. It's uh, She trails by only three points. Uh, and there's a lot of interesting things going on there in terms of especially millennial attitudes who uh, are now ahead of her by, or with her by a large number in Texas. And you see the same thing in California. We're going to have a poll on that next week here out of Hoover. But let's say that this surge is mostly manifested in states like Texas and red states across the middle of America. That's not going to change the election. So if you're Trump, it's much more beneficial than instead of getting a half a million votes in Texas to get 150,000 votes in North Carolina, 150,000 votes in Ohio and Florida and so forth. Right, which is why the campaigns pretty much concentrate on state-level polling, uh, right. that you're not going to learn anything interesting from polling California, though I do recommend the Golden State poll. for, uh, um. Which is out uh, next Tuesday, and we're going to have some very interesting numbers. I can't give them away, but uh, let's just say that it's going to show that California is about as blue as a Berkeley homecoming weekend. <laughs> Well, that's news, Bill. <laughs> yes, you heard it here first. <laughs> the only red in California is at Stanford. The, oh, the cardinal. Yeah. <laughs> the cardinal red, that's true. All right, so Doug, you've offered a pretty throaty defense of uh, pollsters not, not being part of a larger conspiracy than those not being rigged. <laughs> but let me ask you this. When pollsters do sit down, I know you can't tell us what's going to happen exactly on Election Day, but... You know, for years, the media uh, insisted on going to the Kennedy School post-election, sitting around and, frankly, wasting a day talking about the things they did poorly in the election. And it was just a waste of time in this regard. They'd all sit around and say, all we do is we run around and we report on polls and we cover the horse race, and then they conclude their conference and head right off to Iowa to talk, <laughs> to talk about who's campaigning in Iowa, so back on the horse race. But when... You and your, when you butters in the polling industry sit down and talk post, post-mortem about this election, what, what areas of agreement do you think they're going to be in terms of how the profession needs to revisit what it does? Yeah, so uh, pollsters themselves uh, are not, uh, you know, at each other's throats across party lines. Uh, there are um, a number of polls, such as like the uh, NBC Wall Street Journal poll that are jointly and yeah. uh, the Fox Democrat News poll that are jointly run by Democrats <laughs> and Republicans. Uh, we are sort of the mandarins of the political world. Um, so um, in general, there are not wide disagreements between Democratic and Republican pollsters uh, about how to do polls, about what they mean. Uh, I think our interpretation is largely going to be the, uh, the same. Um, oh, you think this time it might be a bit different, given the, given as you said, the question now is the the variate the major variation relative to the past in right. the poll results yeah. is a result of who's answering, uh, who's who's in the what's the who's in the poll. So that's going to be a so question, we differ yeah. uh, bigly, as uh, yeah. Trump would say, yeah. on methodology. Right. So yeah. there are those of us on. The view that uh, internet polling of one type or another is the future, and there are those that are um, committed to uh, phone polling. Um, it usually has to do with uh, whether you have an internet panel or whether you own a phone room. Um, but the, the the real the issue there is, a, which is a serious issue, is there is a difference between someone who opts in mm-hmm. as on an internet poll. And someone who's called and and chooses to respond. There are problems with both, but that's that's the guts of the issue, right? 
Yeah. So um, it used to be uh, that uh, in the 70s and 80s uh, that you could get about half the people that you called to agree to speak to you. That's now down into the single digits. So, um, you know, e telephone polling, even if you start with random selection, uh, has a huge component of self-selection. Uh, right. Most internet panels um, are entirely self-selected. You just run ads and get who you can. Uh, the difference is you get a large number of people, which allows you to balance some more variables, mm -hmm. and you talk to the same people over time, so you can look at changes at the individual level. Um, so I think that's the big argument for yeah. um, internet polling over uh, phone polling. I, and I agree with that. It's future. Final, final question for you guys, the kind of question you hate because you're a serious analyst. And let's look in the crystal ball. We're going to meet one more time before the election. Let's say we meet a week from now and about five days to go, which will be about the final round of polls. It will be weekend polls. We'll, we'll see one last set of numbers. What do you think we got? What do you think we'll be talking about then? And let's take this from an analytic approach because you mentioned earlier, Doug, that you think things are kind of locked in place right now. Do you think we're right. going to see pretty much the same set of numbers, or is there a chance for any movement either either in, to her advantage or to his advantage? So sure, there's a chance that uh, this could move three or four points. So but that this is but the chance of any movement is going to be, besides obviously the world coming down on either one of them, how many undecideds are out there, how many people are still in the fence? Yeah. Um, so in my opinion, most of the undecideds are going to end up uh, splitting about equally for Clinton and Trump or not voting. Um, so the, the idea that there's this big set of people who are sitting there waiting to make up their mind, um, we've looked at them and most of them, there's only one direction they can go. Um, that is the undecideds, uh, you know, are either people who are Republicans that don't like Trump or they're Democrats that don't like Clinton, or they're people who don't like both. There's hardly anybody out there that likes both of these candidates, and they just can't decide between them because they're such good alternatives. But when we, so when we asked on several occasions people who were voting for a third party or said where they were undecided or said they weren't going to vote, uh, then you ask them, they're breaking a little more for Mrs. Clinton, oh, it's right. 33, 28, something like that. Uh, so they're breaking a little more towards Clinton. And in a but the 40% of that, that set of people wouldn't respond. And man, they really dislike both candidates. But I hope at the next elections we're finished, I hope the next time we uh, can say it's about a, what I believe to be a four, four and a half, five point lead. Yeah. Uh, and that, I think, will remain relatively stable, uh, barring some huge event, and that we talk more about what's going to happen in the House and the Senate. It's yeah. getting kind of late for a huge event to <coughs> yeah. matter. Uh, right. So if there's some bombshell out in the WikiLeaks, uh, I'm... What, what more could be said about yeah, the two why at this didn't point? They, why didn't they release uh, it's it? It's hard now, to right. think of something that could be released, and if you wait till the last weekend, uh, there's too much noise for it to really have an impact. Um, yeah, the George Bush drunk driving while intoxicated or whatever it was uh, came out very late in the paper. It did. That no evidence didn't, didn't that moved anybody. No evidence that moved anybody. And if the, the WikiLeaks had been released in the spring as opposed to uh, in October uh, on Clinton's speeches to Goldman yeah. Sachs and uh, you know, various things she said, effect. it could have had a much bigger impact because Sanders actually could have taken advantage of it and might have had a little discipline on message. Um, but uh, 
they did her a favor if they were waiting uh, six months to release uh, yeah, that information. In terms of bombshells, look, about every every deplorable thing has been said about the two for the past month now, so just what else could be done? But uh, I look, I, I'd be awfully surprised if there was much, if any, movement in the polls over the next week. Mm-hmm. Uh, I do think there are some Americans sitting out there, though, we could agree, who are just holding on to their ballots with grim death. They just can't decide right. who yeah. to I, cast yeah. a ballot. And for those people listening in California, you can write in on your ballot so Brady can vote for Rivers and Rivers can vote for Brady. Okay. <laughs> that means we're running neck and neck, right? Yeah. <laughs> you cancel each other out. Well, I'd win if there wasn't a conspiracy. <laughs> <laughs> exactly. Gentlemen, it's always good to talk to you. You've been listening to Pole Position, a broadcast of the Hoover Institution on the 2016 election. For more information about the Hoover Institution, please visit our website. That's www.hoover.org. That's three W's or four W's www.hoover.org. And while you're there, I encourage you to sign up for the Hoover Daily Report. It keeps you up to date on Hoover Fellows, studies, analyses, commentaries by the likes of Dave Brady and Doug Rivers. It'll arrive in your inbox every business day. You can also find us on Twitter, and our Twitter handle is at Hoover I-N-S-T, at Hoover Inst. For the Hoover Institution, this is Bill Whalen. Thanks for sitting in with us today. This podcast has been a production of the Hoover Institution. For more research by our fellows on the 2016 election, please visit hoover.org slash decision 2016. For more podcasts from Hoover, please visit hoover.org or Hoover's channels on iTunes, SoundCloud, or Stitcher. I'm Chris Dower for the Hoover Institution. Thanks for listening.